100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Todd Bumgardner, strength and conditioning coach, author, and founder of Human Predator Pack Mule. He trains tier one tactical operators, backcountry hunters, and everyone in between while hunting all over the country himself. We discuss my personal journey with fitness, ways to stay consistent, a tiered approach to fitness for hunting, intensity levels, the Human Predator Pack Mule program, mistakes hunters make when preparing for hunts, how it relates to whitetail hunting, and much more. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have a story coming from John Cook out of Pennsylvania. He wrote in, Opening day of Pennsylvania's bear muzzleloader season found me hiking the highest, steepest stuff I could find in my area. I was up on a big oak flat that I loved with some subtle but perfect rises and dips and ended up jumping a good buck off this point that makes perfect sense for bedding. I ended up harvesting my first bear a half mile from that spot. On December 2nd, I've been having a tough year with bucks and increased pressure. I felt lost. Up on that same mountain, there's some great, super thick stuff and really steep terrain. I decided to try to get in there and hang tight, hoping the deer would use it to hide from pressure. But because of how thick and steep the stuff is, I plan to spend the first hour or so cooling down and watching the bed I jumped the buck out of six weeks prior. It made sense that he would come from the lesser pressured feeding ground and slip right into that bed where he could easily escape in all directions. Legal light was 6.39 a.m. and at 6.51 I heard a stick snap. I'll never forget seeing that still dark shape slowly sneaking into bed 70 yards away and when my scope showed the rack I didn't need to wait any longer. He dropped in his tracks when the 270 sounded and the rush hit hard. This is a spot that I've been trying to figure out for a few years now and I couldn't have wrote the script any better. Although I was solo, the one and a quarter mile drag out was so much fun and I couldn't be more honored to have this northeastern Pennsylvania buck in my life. Meant to add also a huge shout out to Spartan Forge and their slope angle shading on this one. Finding those little unshaded areas were critical when route planning because this place is full of cliffs and huge steep drop-offs. In the dark using Spartan Forge, you can still safely route plan and get in knowing you won't hit something you can't navigate. Congratulations, John. Such an awesome buck and, and I love the plan too and getting into some of those gnarly areas and using that historical intel and trying to think of, okay, you know, hunting pressure is bad, but how can I use that to my advantage? And maybe where is that going to pinch this, these deer, this, these deer living down to? And, and, uh, I really think that, uh, yeah, everything worked out on that one, obviously. So congratulations, John, if you want to check out his buck and everything there, head over to East meets West hunt on Instagram or East meets West outdoors on Facebook, check out the post, uh, give those pages a like and a follow really appreciate that. And, uh, if you have a story that you want to submit, please send it to my email, BodiesMeetsWestHunt.com and just put in the subject line Mountain Buck Monday and uh, I'd love to be able to share it. And and I apologize. I've been getting a lot of these coming in. I haven't had a chance to look through them all yet. So I will get back to you. Uh, just might take a little bit of time here. But I uh, have them all saved and, and ready to go. So looking forward to, to sharing that. 
all those stories with the audience. All right. In other news, the big news this week is registration for the 2024 Mountain Bucks Scouting Camp will open this week on January 18th, which is Thursday. So make sure you are signed up for the email newsletter at eastmeetswesthunt.com to be notified when the registration will open. Also, if you go to eastmeetswesthunt.com and click on events, you can find information on the event itself. It sold out in less than three minutes the last two years, so be sure to jump on it if you want to come and hang out with us. The presenters this year will be the same as last year. So we got myself, we've got Joe Martonic, who is my dad, specializes in pre-rut and and rut hunting and and really all-around scouting. Uh, we have my cousin, Mason Martonic. Mason's been on the podcast before. In, in the last six years, he's killed, uh, well, he's killed six bucks, but five of them being absolute giants, four of them over 140, and a couple of them being close to 10 years old, if not older. So he's got a wealth of knowledge to be able to share, and doing that on limited time. Uh, we have Ryan a.k.a. Moose Glitzky. Ryan is a scrape specialist coming out of Pennsylvania and really hard-working hunter. So excited to have him back. We have Johnny Stewart. Johnny's good at whatever he does when it comes to whitetail hunting and sees things through a different lens, but really specializes in uh, the late season and getting on bucks after everybody else is, is done hunting, and he's he's got a way of doing that. So we got Johnny, then we have Greg Litzinger. Greg is an early season fanatic, buck betting, rubs. He knows that stuff like the back of his hand. So the bow hunting fiend will be there again. And then lastly, we have Kenny Kane, who is a good buddy of mine, and he's a forester that understands the tree types and the vegetation and what a healthy habitat looks like to produce bigger deer and really be able to give you a little bit of a lesson on identifying trees, identifying what these deer are feeding on, which is a really valuable asset to this. So the location is different than last year. It will be in St. Mary's, Pennsylvania, or the, the surrounding areas there. And so that's in and north central, northwestern Pennsylvania. And uh, we got a new place that we're going to be staying at and a uh, new property that we're going to be scouting, some timber company property that's not open to the public. And that's by design, try to find places that we don't blow up any spots and to be able to go in. But ton of diversity and a bunch of clear cuts, which we didn't have a lot of that in the, in the previous year's camps, uh, but still having oak trees and some of the other different vegetation. So looking forward to this year and and some of the changes that we have new location should be an absolute blast so make sure again check out uh sign up for the email newsletter eastmeetswesthunt.com and uh hope to be able to see you there with that said uh we'll get right into this podcast here with todd bumgartner have a great rest of your week all right we're live Todd Bumgardner, welcome back to the show, man. How are you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go thick Pennsylvania accent for the entire time today. That's what I'm doing. You're you're mixing a few. You've got some like Amish country. You know, know. there's well, the that's where you I'm know that yeah. That's I mean, why I was like, you got that, but you're also trying to throw the Pittsburgh the Yinzer, yeah, the Yinzers in. Well, it's it. well, where I'm from. It sounds like that. It's like 
So my buddy Brett, we always do this joke, like we make fun of like, because I kind of lost my accent. Some shit comes out, but like most of because I've lived in Virginia for so long that I don't really have it anymore. But like we'll make fun of certain things. It's like this this one old lady was walking into a grocery store one time. Brett was behind him and they're handing out coupons. And the lady takes the coupon. She goes, what is this? Coupons? I don't need this. And then hands it back to the lady. So we say that shit to each other all the time. But I was like, I was like, I'm going to try to go in with my my central Pennsylvania accent and catch him off guard. But I, I don't think I can hold it the whole time. <laughs> you can't hold it the whole time. I, Yeah, I, it's funny. I'm very influential depending on where I, where I go as far as I'm easily influenced, I guess is the way sure, to put it, sure. on accents. So when I spent... Um, I don't know, seven or eight days in West Virginia here recently, Southern West Virginia, deep yeah, Southern, Southern accent. accent. And <laughs> I come back and, and my girlfriend's like, what, what, uh, what's this accent that you, you came go. up with? And, you know, depending on where I go, I like start saying things and very easily influenced on that. It just, you just pick up on linguistics. Well, man, that's all it is. <laughs> that's all it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I could, I can, I could see it. And wherever I'm at, they're probably like, what is this guy doing? Like, what, is he's he trying, trying to be, to... what is this poser? You know what I yeah, mean? What's he trying this, to do? Who's this poser? I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. That's funny. But no, I, I, it was funny. Um, so I, I had, for just a quick background here, I've been training with Todd for the last three years, going into year four here um, with Human Predator Pack Mule, which is a program that's focused on hunters and making them ready to have the best experiences possible and yep. in the field. And and uh, I, you know, I was thinking about it, so I talked to Todd regularly, you know, whether it's through text, messaging, phone calls. Got to see you at the Great American Outdoor yeah. Show last year and hang out with you a little bit. But realized you hadn't been on the podcast in, in about a year and a half. And uh, I was like, you know what? We need to get Todd back on here. And, you know, it's a new year, new me type of deal. So I figured this is as good as time as any. No, I appreciate it, man. It's it. I uh, it has been too long. I always enjoy talking with you. And it's, uh, I don't know, I, I, I always appreciate the work that you do. And I appreciate your authenticity and... I, uh, I know that, um, I just always appreciate to come on and, and, and spread the good word and, and help as many folks as I can, even if they just listen to this podcast and take a handful of things away from it. So I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, no, no, no problem. So why don't we start by, since it's been a while and there's some new listeners since before, why don't you give a, a brief background on yourself? Um, it, and then a little bit of, about the program and we'll kind of jump into it. Yeah, man. So I've I've spent uh, my entire adult life. My, my main gig is a as a strength and conditioning coach, perform human performance coach, whatever you want to call it. Um, I've done that in a variety of different settings. I've worked with just about everybody that you can imagine, from NFL linebackers to grandmas to middle school athletes to folks that just want to look better naked to everybody. And um, Right now, I mean, everybody wants to look better naked, right? That's yeah. everybody, you know? Nobody's like, oh, man, I don't want people to want to have sex with me. Everybody wants to look better naked. <laughs> um, so, and right now, I, I co-own and operate a gym in uh, Sterling, Virginia, which is in Loudoun County. So, it's about 30 miles outside of D.C. Um, called Beyond Strength. And we train folks that... There, we train folks that um, are a lot like you and I. I mean, not necessarily hunters, but they want to go out and use their bodies to, to do cool shit and not be held back. And so we train active people that want to be coached and enjoy competing with themselves. So those are the kind of folks we work with at the gym. 
not all that different from who we work with in human predator pack mule. We just have more of a focus, right? So, um, and then I'm also a human performance coach for a tier one unit. Um, I've done that for seven years now. Um, yeah, going into my eighth year with them. And so that's just like, I get to work with guys at the tip of the spear and make sure that they stay healthy to do their job and, and, and maintain their longevity so that, um, it's safer for you and I to go to bed at night. And so that's a pretty good, pretty good gig. I appreciate that. And then, um, you know, obviously I have human predator pack meal and human predator pack meal grew out of uh, my own need. Um, I, I grew up hunting in Pennsylvania. Um, and then I started getting into Western hunting. And so I, I, I had no, um, illusions about the physical demand of Western hunting being far different from uh, walking the hundred yards into your, to your tree stand in Pennsylvania and sitting there all day. Like, so I understand the difference. And I was like, well, I don't know. I would like to learn more about what I need to be, what other guys have done and um, have perspective on this can give me. And, you know, I went looking and having the experience and strength and conditioning and human performance that I've, I've had up to that point, like I just couldn't found and find anything that I thought was worth that had a lot of value. And so I was like, well, I guess I got to do this for myself and I'm going to create it. And so I started writing my own programs to prep for um, what I thought was going to be an elk hunt for the first year. I didn't end up going on that hunt, but, and then um, I just started documenting it and just putting it on my personal Instagram page. And so, you know, guys just started raising their hand and saying, you know, Hey, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? Blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, man, I, I think there's a need here. And I think there's a, there's a, people would want this. So I, I started building out what would become human predator pack mule. And I just started, Jesus, I wrote, and then I wrote a couple articles for uh, the journal of mountain hunting. And so people started raising their hand. And so I, I got a couple of clients and I just started building it out, man. And so we're going into, I started in the bones of it in 2019. And so obviously we're going into 2000, um, 2024, Jesus. And uh, so <laughs> we're going on five years with, with human predator pack mule. And so it's been cool. I've, we, we have folks all over North America. I've prepped guys to go to New Zealand um, and, and do tar and chamois hunts. We have doll sheep hunts up in Alaska. I mean, elk hunts, you know, all this, all the cool stuff that we all like to do. Um, I've got to help like a lot of people get ready to go do all the cool shit that we like to do. And so I really, I really appreciate doing that. And it's, it's been it's been super fun. Like I've, I've learned a ton from everybody and it's, it's obviously plugged me into people like you. And one of the best things for me is that like, I love to hunt. I'm a decent hunter. I'm not a great hunter. Like there's, there's guys that are just way, way, way better than, at hunting than I am. But through osmosis of being in this world, I continue to grow as a hunter in a way that I want to grow because of that. So it's been yeah. a, a very cool reciprocal relationship and I appreciate it, you know? Yeah, no. And, and like, for me personally, so I've always loved to work out and, you know, but I think I'd mentioned it on here before, but I like when I was in high school or actually, you know, younger than that, my dad had a weight set. My dad was always big into, into working out and lifting weights. And he had got me doing that young when I was in football and everything. And I started, you know, doing that. And through high school, it was like a thing every day after school, we'd walk up to the high school gym and work out with buddies in college. It was like, spend like 
two and a half hours in the gym just because I had nothing else to do. What else just, are you going to do? Just yeah. bench press the whole time, every day, all day. Um, but, <laughs> you know, and, and it was it was funny. Like, I had different focuses at those times. That time it was just to, to look good and, you know, attract women. And that was kind of the end to be able to, you know, tell your buddy, oh, I benched this much today. And, you yeah, know, that right. was kind of the the deal with it. And then as I got into doing Western hunting, you know, some things had shifted. I tried kind of doing my own thing of creating what I thought would work here and this person talk and that person talk and, and, you know, and it, you know, went okay. I was in better shape, but it wasn't. And then I went to another program that was super, super intense. And I felt like I was in really good shape, but I was getting hurt often and was just like feeling wore out a lot. And then it was just like the perfect timing when Matt comment, mutual friend of ours had introduced me to you. And it was like, okay, this program, like I knew right away had kind of fit, uh, fit me and, and my style and just like feeling good with, with being able to do these workouts that felt very focused on it. And, and the biggest year for me, I felt like that what the program had done and, and I'm not trying to sit here and just sell Todd completely, but I, when I went, it was in 2022, I went on elk hunt in Montana for 21 days. And I remember mm-hmm. you talking about like with a lot of the, the workouts that we do is like building strength and endurance over time so that you can do these things for a long period of time, not just these short bursts, but being able to do that if you need to. And, and you know, 21 days, is a long time. And, you know, up until the last few days, I was starting to get, you know, pretty wore out at that point. But throughout that whole time, I felt good. And like, I was able to run up and down and chase elk herds the whole time. And it was just, it was just like, man, this is awesome. I love feeling this way of like where I wasn't getting, uh, I wasn't being held back by not being able to get somewhere. If I was being held back, it was from my own skills and learning and hunting versus, you know, actually being able to get there. Yeah. Yeah, So that's what, what was, uh, was like a real eye opening experience. And yeah, I've been just, I've been doing it ever since with you. That's awesome, man. I I remember you telling me about that soon after it happened, but I I appreciate you saying it again. It's like, it's, um, that's one of those things where you, you, you just don't want your, your physical limitations to hold you back. You don't want to look across the drainage and be like, I can't, that's out of, I can't do it. I can't get there. Or, um, you know, like you said the day after day. And I, I think that's what people don't necessarily realize is like the day after day takes, you know, we'll talk, we talk a lot about aerobic conditioning and building an aerobic base and that's a big part of it. But, you know, I think one of the interesting things is, is like, for example, people will poo poo on something about like getting 10,000 steps a day, right? Something like that. Like, well, I, that's too easy. That's not, that's not going to be impactful, but like, one of the the things that's going to help you get to where you want to be and make the changes that you want to make and then, and have the stamina go out and hunt for 21 days is being active as much as possible every one day, every day. And so if you are on a program that allows you to be consistent without beating the absolute piss out of you on one day, and then you don't feel like you can train for another two, three days, then there's no way that you're going to build the strength and endurance that you need to go and get up day after day after day, and continue on a hunt. And like what you just said is, and, and I've had, you know, some other folks say the same thing to me. It's like, I felt like I could just get up and go every day. And I like still had, I still had gas. And that's the biggest compliment that, that I can get as, as a, 
human performance coach for hunters is like being able to go up. Well, first, not feeling limited, like, no, I can get up that hill and I can get to where I need to be. And I know I can recover once I get up there. But then also knowing like when you roll out of the tent in the morning, you're going to be able to go or getting up. And you're like, all right, Jesus, like I felt I, I expected to feel like hell and I don't, you know, and, and that's just consistency. And that's like doing a program that has the right amount of intensity, whether that's hard, easy, moderate, so that you can train consistently so that you can build like the fitness that you need and so that you can train consistently enough to do that yeah and and even like some of the other things that that i've learned from it that have helped me is for example every workout starts with some sort of mobility if that's the right term for it but you know as as also my girlfriend says is she sees me rolling around on the floor a lot you know so you you know doing these things that kind of get you ready for it but that i also take that into when i'm hunting and i'm doing some of these things in my tent before i get out and getting ready getting your muscles warmed up you know and the the part of doing that every single day none of it is hard to do it's just doing that that those stuff every day and someone like me that it was extremely not flexible and just not good with a lot of that stuff was just like that helped me, you know, and then getting ready. And it just builds this muscle memory of doing these things before you do a physical activity. And it helped again into the hunting. Cause you don't know, like on a hunt, you're on an elk hunt, you might walk three miles in that day, or you might walk 14. You don't know what's going to, what's going to come through there. If you're on a break, you know, sitting there and doing some different stretches and things. And, and a lot of that I'd learned in some of those movements through the, through the program. And, and what, what I've liked about the program is, so it's completely on my phone. So I can download the workouts if it's offline, um, if you know, you don't have service to be able to do it. Um, but I can go through, watch videos, know exactly what I need to do. And then, um, every so often, you know, you or Jordan reaches out and it's like, Hey, you know, saw you put a comment in here about this. Like you, you, maybe you should take it a little easier if you're not feeling good on this tomorrow or whatever it might be. And it's just, it's helpful to have that and then also have that accountability. Although I'm not in a class with other people and I'm worried about people seeing me there, it's also sure. the aspect of, man, I don't want Todd to think I'm a, you know, I'm a loser over here because I skipped (laughs) this or I did that. And like, it's, it's, it helps keep you accountable. And and for me, that's a huge, huge benefit. No, yeah. I appreciate that. I mean, um, it's just like, there's a few things there that to touch on, like limiting barriers is a big thing, right? So it's like, if you know that having access to everything on your phone is going to make it easier for you to do the things that you need to do, like, that's that's a huge thing like environmental change and getting things out of your way and making things easier is always going to be the best case scenario right and so that's where you look at like people we call them the shoulds like they should all over themselves like i should just be able to do this i should just be able to do that and and what people don't realize is a lot of it is environment or it's like you have skills to build and so you, maybe you shouldn't be able to do it. Like goal setting is a great example. Like a lot of people feel like they should just be able to set goals and, and achieve them. And like, they beat the hell out of themselves when they can't do it. But the reality is like, it's a skill. And so you have to start with a very small aspect of that, get good at it. And then you can expand out from there. But then like another thing that you said is like, it's the, some of the things like the mobility training and stuff, like these aren't physically difficult things to do, but 
you know, I heard somebody say one time, like it takes way more mental toughness to actually be consistent with the things that are easy to do than it is to go out and try to bury yourself with some hard workout where it's like being able to sit there and, and, and do something that might seem boring or not seem sexy and just do that over and over and over again and commit and be consistent. Like that builds some mental toughness way more than just being like, I'm going to go suffer through this, this workout that, that I think is doing something for me because it makes me feel like hell, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a lot, you know, yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right. It's like the way I look at it is okay. Doing the, the, what looks like a simple thing over and over and over again, building that consistency is similar to like at, you know, building a business or, or doing anything really, but like building a business, you got to do the simple things over and over again, like thinking of a marketing standpoint, cause that's what I'm most familiar with, but it's like, all right, sending out the the emails weekly, you know, posting on social media this many days a week, doing these things that are just monotonous that doing, staying consistent with it. Alex Ramosi, which you and I both uh, yeah. follow that. He says it all the time. He's like the difference between successful and unsuccessful businesses a lot is doing the things that you don't want to. They're just easy. They're boring, but doing them for a long period of time in a consistent manner. And it's, it's the same thing versus, you know, like the, the, the hard workouts where you got, so you got weighted vests on, you got shit hanging between your crotch and weights and all this stuff and, and, you know, burning yourself out for one thing. That's like the flashy things in business that pop up and Absolutely. you might do it for a period of time, get bored and you stop. And it's like, that's, that's how I look at it. And, uh, and I've d- definitely seen it through through the programming and, and your approach to it. Yeah. Well, you got to stop chasing feelings. And I think that that's one of the things that people get caught up in is they, they expect a workout to make them feel a certain way when it's, there, there's a certain act of belief and a certain act of faith, because if you go out and you do a bunch of aerobic capacity training, like it doesn't feel hard and it shouldn't feel hard, but the the accrual of all of that volume is what's going to pay dividends and make it easy for you to get up the hill in September. And so there, there is a certain act of like belief and faith and saying, well, like I, I, I believe this is going to pay dividends, but it's, it just starts with like commitment. What do you value and staying on top of those things? And like, if you're a person that values consistency, well, it's like, if you consistently do the thing, it's going to take you closer to where you want to be. And just, man, like you said, like, even if you don't feel like doing something, sometimes you got to do it. Now there's like, you got to temper that with like, you you shouldn't do stupid things to beat the hell out of yourself. But it's like, you know, there, there are certain aspects, like, I just don't feel like warming up today. It's like, well, you're, you could, you could not, and you could also pay for that. And so you're right. It's just, it comes down to, you got to let go of feelings and you just got to do the thing regardless of how you feel sometimes. Yeah, man, that, that, the warming up one is, is, was the hardest one for me to, to do. Cause it'd be like, Oh, I really got to sit there and, and do these things for five to seven minutes or whatever, however long it takes to do, do these things. And I'm just like, ah, oh. but you know, it's, and again, it's just, for me, it helps of like seeing the thing in front of me and I got to physically check off a box, put the data in that it like helps keep me aligned with going through and, and doing it. Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, everyone, like as much as you want to say, you're that you feel like you're mentally tough or you're disciplined. You get, I, I feel like for me, I have to understand where, and like my, my weaknesses with it and then just find ways to be able to, to get past those weaknesses. And, and for me having that stuff in front of me and that, 
And it's like a forced discipline on me to be able to do it. Now, obviously you can just not open up the app and then you don't have to do anything, but it, uh, there, there's, there's an aspect of it, but finding those things that help you, you know, like with, with anything that, you know, creating habits of doing things like, you know, there was the, the book atomic habits about stacking habits and somehow how that can help you, you know, build these habits to, to do things consistently. And everybody kind of takes everybody's mind works a little bit differently in kind of finding how to how to create that consistency and be okay with doing those boring things over and over again like archery you know shooting your bow every day or however often that you decide you're going to shoot your bow i mean it's a lot of times the same thing as the day before but it's doing those things and creating that muscle memory and and uh yeah that's that's how i look at it. it It's what's it's correct i think you're right jordan and i have a joke that we're the purveyors of the unsexy Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Because everybody else is just selling you sex, man, you know, and it's, and, and if you look at anything from, you know, my, my business partner, Jim Chris has just gotten way back into Brazilian jujitsu. You know, if you're going to do jits, like going and just rolling at a high intensity all the time, isn't going to make you good, but drilling is going to make you good, you know, shooting your bow and, and working on all the things that you need to focus on consistently is going to make you good. Going and just launching arrows at 75 yards is not going to make you good. Um, so it's, it's the, um, same kind of deal, man. It's the same. It it applies across the board where it's like the basics done over and over again and, and done brilliantly is what makes you progress. And a lot of it just, it's not the, like we get caught on this like hero worship type thing. And it's so funny because, you know, I, I, I work with a lot of ex seals, a lot of ex rangers, a lot of ex Marsoc guys. And, you know, there's a big, all of those special operations, like they have a very big brand right now. And there's a lot of guys that want to sniff holsters and be like them, you know, and it's just, (laughs) there's, I mean, there's two things to keep in mind. Like, first of all, you're not them and that's okay. You don't have to be them. Um, But then it's just like this projection of like, 
you have to do these brutal workouts all the time to be able to be like them. And like, first of all, well, the smart ones don't. Um, and you know, I, I, they don't do that. And and there are a bunch of ones that, that get by by doing that, but they do it in spite of what they should be doing. And they also just have some things that other regular people don't have. And what you also don't realize is like a lot of these guys struggle in ways that is similar to us and, and, and struggle with things that you don't struggle with. And so you have to take a step back and realize that like all of this super hard shit, like, do you want to be like a train, like a Navy SEAL, do all this kind of stuff? Like, first of all, do you need it? And second of all, realize that like the stuff that we do with tier one operators, it's just the basics done brilliantly over and over and over again. And that's all it is, man. That's all it is. And the difference between them and a lot of people, the ones that get to the top is like, of, of course there's a measure of talent and there's a measure of natural ability and all those things for sure. But like their ability to just do things over and over and over and over and over again, regardless of how they feel is really how they feel about the thing I think is, is the way to, to look at it. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny because so one of, one of my best friends is, is still um, active duty in the seal teams. And like, mm-hmm. I've talked to him about his, programs and a lot of them are very similar to yours as far as like the way that you know it wasn't exactly what you see on tv and and the way that they train and and then i'd went with um a couple of other buddies that are ex seals and down to um um, a long range shooting course and i was like they're you know snipers and i'm like oh man can't wait to learn these tricks you know it's and it was the basics done like you said done brilliantly over and over and over again and focusing on those basics in a step process that builds, you know, becoming a good shooter. And, you know, there's obviously things you got to learn to, to be able to shoot further. I know you're, you've gotten into to doing that and everything, but it's not, there's not like the secret potion or magic or gear that does, does that thing. It's, it's, it's doing that. And, and I've learned so much from being around that community too, on, on those, those things. And again, the the media can kind of make that look one way or another and i'm sure some of the some of them are i mean they're they're people everyone's different and has their own you know thought process with it and but uh yeah i mean i just i mean i see it on everything deer hunting it's like to be successful it's like basically don't be lazy do the things you know you need to do and do them right every time it's like yeah. all right you're going in to to walk into your stand the easy way is take this straight line here but you're probably going to blow a bunch of deer out going there but if you walk this way use the wind and the thermals come up get into your stand and you do that over and over and over again you know it's easy to do that on day 1 but are you able to do that on day 10 exactly. you know and continually do that and that's and that's where I see there's so many parallels in, in, you know, with getting in shape, whether for hunting or in general, with all of these other things. And it's just like a common trend. Yeah, it is. It's that's exactly it. <clears throat> you know, it's just like walking into your stand the right way. Then the, the way that you know that you should is akin to like do your do the warm up, man. Like don't skip it. You know, like it, it's yeah. the same kind of thing. And that's. You just keep stacking and stacking and stacking and stacking and stacking wins on top of that. And that's what accumulates into success where it's like, I think a lot of guys, they separate those things. And and sometimes they are separate events, but it's like, if you don't walk into your stand the right way for 10 days, 
you're not going to see the buck that you want to see. Like, you know what I mean? Like you have to realize that this is accumulating your opportunities to be able to be successful. And it's the same thing with training. It's like, if you're smart about it and like one of the toughest things that one of the toughest things to do is to coach people to work at a moderate to easy intensity, because you're like, you want to feel like you want to go burn yourself because you get, you know, you get a reward after that, right? Like you get like your brain rewards you for going and doing that. And to get people to pull back and realize that like to lean into maybe you might call what you might call boredom is that's what you need to do. Where it's like the toughness in that aspect isn't like you can go suffer. Like you can get yourself to suffer through a lot of shit, but getting yourself to work at the right intensity when you feel like you want to go faster, like that takes some, some skills some toughness just as much as it is, is like, you know, um, going and kicking your own ass, dude, you know? So, and, and with that being said, so, you know, when you, when you are on a hunt and you have, you know, a situation where you do get beat down and you're having to pack out an animal and it's heavy and it's hard, you know, I, I hear that as an argument for training for those, you know, those situations and, and making sure you're there. How, how are you describing that? Or how would you tell somebody that, you don't necessarily have to do that exact thing at that intensity level to be ready for it. It's accumulate. And that like we talked about earlier, it's accumulation of volume. Um, so doing a lot of 50 pound rucks is going to pay way bigger dividends than trying to do a handful of a hundred pound rucks on the way out, you know? Um, and it's, it's, so if you look at it this way too, so there's different qualities that are going to take you, to be able to, to hike out. Let's say you killed an elk and you, you have a hundred pounds on your back walking out. So what are the things that are going to allow you to do that safely or effectively and then allow you to perform your aerobic base, like having aerobic capacity, which you would build through a lot of light rucking, running, um, hiking, things like that. Um, and then like your structural integrity, which would be, you know, your joints essentially sit the way that they should sit when you're standing up. And so that way you're not wasting energy. You're not putting yourself in awkward positions. You're not causing discomfort because the weight that's sitting on your back is sitting on your back in an awkward position, which is going to just fatigue you faster, which also has to do with pack setup, right? Making sure that your pack sit in the right spot. Um, and then it's, it's strength. It's relative strength. So those are the things that are going to contribute to this, right? And so one of the things that I see that, that people mess up, and we have the information on this. I can't can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head, um, but did a study at the Naval Academy about us. It. Like once you get to a certain point with rucking, like you start to see diminishing returns of what you can actually get from it if you put too much weight. And it's like somewhere, it's like 30%, 30 to 33% of your body weight. Like if you're continually doing that, like you're gonna start to see diminishing returns and you just won't get better. So like where you see the most benefit is somewhere between 20% of your body weight. That's where you start to like, it starts to be enough load to around 30% of your body weight. And so that's where we do most of our training. And the way that I phrase it is like, you have to realize that there's a difference between practice and the game, right? So like I played college football, we never went out and smacked each other and smacked pads during the week in college. Like, we worked on our skills. We worked on our scheme. We'd pop a little bit, but not hard just to stay, you know, kind of fresh. And then we'd go out and play the game on Saturdays thing. When it comes to like a pack out and be fit for it, you have all of your practice that you crew that makes you ready for the game. Um, and so that's really it. So if you get strong enough, 
your bot and you have the right structural integrity, you're going to be able to walk out with that hundred pounds if you need to, if you have the aerobic base, because if you don't have that, your heart rate's going to jump way too high. As soon as you put the weight on your back and you start moving, same's going to be, and each step is going to cost you more if you don't have the structural integrity and you don't have the strength to carry that load. Like another thing to consider is like, how much do you actually need to walk out with? Um, and that's, that's, I was talking to um, Aaron Snyder about this and, you know, not really more than 50% of your body weight. And that's if you're strong and conditioned and used to rucking. So I think another thing is like keeping in mind that <clears throat> it's not a race in most instances, like be smart, know the terrain that you have to walk out on and realize that you can take a few trips. I mean, I understand if you're like six miles back in and you're like, what the hell am I going to do? It's like, all right, I get where you're at, but you also have to be smart. You know, um, do you need to call help? Do you need to do something else? So that's all like contingency to say that if, if you need to hike out and, and with a bunch of weight on your back, realize that feeling the weight sometimes isn't such a bad thing. So we'll go up to, um, 45% of our body weight sometimes when we do high intensity continuous step ups. And that's where we put our pack on pretty heavy one step every five seconds. Um, and on a box in a very controlled environment. So you get used to the weight, but you don't have to go out on a trail and do something dangerous with a ton of weight on your back. Right. Cause it's like, if you're continually consistently rocking with a, a high percentage of your body weight on your back on a trail, on a, like, something bad is going to happen. So we want to limit the exposures to the bad things. So you can adjust and, and at least acclimate and feel what that weight feels like by doing something like a high intensity, continuous step, step up a couple few times throughout the summer. But where the real magic is, is making sure that you move well, your joints sit in pretty good position, you're strong and you have a good aerobic base. And if you do those things, you will be able to pack out with heavier loads than you need, than you consistently train with. And it's, it's letting go of, I think that's one of the things that people overtrain for is they try they worry too much about the pack out because they're scared of it. It's like, dude, that's like what percentage of a hunt maybe, right? Like if you kill one the first day, maybe it's a big percentage of your hunt, but most of your hunt is not that it's a small percentage of your hunt. And so there are so many other things that you need to do and be ready for. And preparing for that comes from what you do to prepare for those other things. You move well, you build your aerobic system, you make sure that you're strong. And if you do that consistently, you're smart about it, you'll be able to pack it. I mean, I, I walked out the first night after I killed an elk in Montana in 2021 with well over 100 pounds on my back. I'm going to tell you right now, it was fucking stupid. And I didn't need to do that. Like I could have, I, I was just, I was just, I wanted the meat out. You know what I mean? I, th I think everybody understands what that feels like. And so I walked out with way too much weight on my back down the steep ass hill, steep ass part of a mountain through blow down through all this kind of shit. Like how I didn't get hurt is an absolute miracle. Um, but up throughout the course of that train up, like the most I rocked with was 50 pounds. And I did high intensity continuous training, like a handful of times with like 80 pounds on my back. And I'm, I'm a decent sized guy. I'm, I'm 200 pounds. I have a long training history and in, in of, of consistent training history. So it allows me to, to be able to do stuff like that. So I'm starting to get long winded, but the biggest thing is just to, to really, if you're consistent with, making yourself stronger, 
training to move well and building your aerobic base, you'll be able to pack out with heavy weights. Well, I, I have three comments on that. Um, one about the controlled environment for the step ups. Do, do you remember when I got hurt doing those? No. When, <laughs> so it's funny. Um, but when I had, uh, so I didn't have, I don't know if I didn't have a box or what, oh, what I, I was doing. Now. And I was using my porch and I was stepping up on it. My sidewalk had, you know, it was a little bit uneven old. It was poured concrete a while back and, and it was, had some uneven corners and I was stepping up on, it. I stepped down and I rolled my ankle oh, with great. it. Do you remember that? Yeah. And, uh, and I, one, I felt extremely stupid because it was something that I should not have been hurt doing, but yeah. So, so the, you use a box, use a flat ground and and you'll be fine. You know, make yeah. sure don't, don't do what I did there. But, um, and the other thing was I talking about too much weight and managing that. I remember when I killed my bull in Idaho in 2019, I, I was being bullheaded. I had a lot, I had good help. Like I had three or four other guys that were there and I was like, you know, and the one guy was carrying some of the gear. He's like, Hey, let me take, you know, some weight off of you. Cause I was like, I wanted to carry hind, hind quarter head with the hide on it and all this stuff. And it was like, probably, I don't know, probably 120 pounds or so. I mean, it was, it was maybe 110. So it was, it was heavy and it was all downhill. I'm like, it's downhill. That's easy. Well, my, I hurt my knees going down. Like I just felt, and I still get that pain come back here and there from, and from that event. Yeah. And it was like, that one decision of trying to be bullheaded and being like, you know, I can do it was, uh, was something that, you know, probably lasting as far as having pain and, and in my knee. And, uh, and what was I going to say for all the, the thinking about the pack out and building up this thing in your head? You know, I did that this year on uh, my moose hunt in Alaska. I was like, moose are huge. And I was like the swampy environment, like how are we going to do this? You know, it's going to be heavy. And I'm thinking about the processing, all this stuff. Like I put that in my head for so much and we never saw a legal bull. So yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, yeah. I mean, it's just like, you can like take your time. In most instances, take your time, like slow down, woosah, man. Like it's not like you're not dealing with life or death in most instances. Just slow down and take your time. Like take your time cutting it up. Take your time walking out. Realize what's reasonable for you. And I think one of the things is to like start to set some rules in your head before you do it and like communicate them with your hunting buddies. So like if you're trying to be a hero, they can be like, hey, man. You said you were going to limit yourself to like 80 pounds or whatever, whatever it might be. So that way you don't do anything stupid. But I think we all have that element of being bullheaded, especially dudes, because we just like, I'm tough. I can do it. I want to do it. You know, and it's like just yep. because you can doesn't mean you should either. You know, and it's like if we want to do this for the rest of our lives, like I think a lot of us are approaching 30 or in our 30s, our 40s, whatever. Um we have to be smart and like one stupid thing can mess up your hunting for a long time. And there's no point, there's no sense, like don't be a hero, you know? And so I, I can't, I know that being bullheaded has gotten me into so much trouble in the past and it's just not worth it. Like I, I, I was training for a Muay Thai fight and my coach was a professional kickboxer and he was, and he, was being kind of douchey if we're being honest, but he was like, I just got to make sure you're tough. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, it pushed my buttons. Right. And so we're doing, we're sparring. We're doing, I don't remember how many minute rounds, 
but he just starts chopping my leg and me being an egotistical douche canoe was like, well, I'm not checking one of them. And I just ate all of his kicks, like from a professional kickball. I just ate them and it messed up my hip for like two or three years. Sincerely, two or three years it took my hip to recover from that. And so it's just like being bullheaded and being stupid is it, it's not for what, like, what do you gain from this? I mean, sure. Maybe there's a good story, which I totally understand, but you'll get, you'll get more stories if you don't do stupid shit sometimes, you know, and I, sometimes there's no choice. And sometimes you're like, this is going to be wild. Let's do it. I get that. But like, there's so many instances where it's like, it's just dumb. Don't do it. You know? Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. So how do you like, so with the program, um, it, it's broken down in like 12 to 16 week segments. Mm-hmm. So, you know, thinking now January timeframe, what's that first phase look like and why do you have it set up that way? Yeah. So our first phase, our first block is, is about building capacity. So building like strength capacity and aerobic capacity. Uh, these are the foundational elements that allow us to, to layer things on top, right? So you have to build different parts of your aerobic system before you can make, so make a step back. Capacity comes before power because capacity builds raw materials. So things like capillary density, right? Um, uh, does the size of your ventricle, left ventricular hypertrophy, which like, if you hear that a lot of times it can be misconstrued into a, a health problem, but in a training way, it's a different type of different type of hypertrophy. Your, your heart muscle actually expands more. It teaches you to expand and pump out more blood with each, um, with each beat, your mitochondrial density, which is like what manages aerobic energy inside of your muscle cells and which also, um, and then like your slow twitch fibers, which the more of those you have, the, the less waste products build up in your muscles when you do hard stuff. And so, Creating all of these adaptations first and reinforcing those adaptations first allows us to put higher intensity work on top of that. Now, can you still get higher intensity, something out of higher intensity work if you if you do it without doing this? Sure. But two things, a few things are going to happen. Like you're not going to get as much out of it as you could. Um, you're not going to be able to do as much of it as you normally would be able to because you're not going to recover from it um, or you're going to get hurt. And so. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Building these adaptations first give us the foundation that we need for the year to be able to start to layer things on top of that and create as much fitness as we possibly can. So we do 
a lot more strength and muscular endurance work right now. Um, and we'll do a lot of low to moderate intensity, uh, aerobic training, and then just like a little bit of higher intensity aerobic training. And then we'll move into uh, a higher strength phase and an aerobic power phase, which we start to take those adaptations that we built early in the year and make our aerobic system work with more power. So hot, harder shit. And then we'll move into the summer and we'll take all those things that we built for the first half of the year, part of the year, and just make them more specific to hunting. And then once we get into hunting season, you know, we're out hunting, we're doing a lot of shit and our, our season, our hunting uh, in season program is more about continuing to build and maintain our mobility, maintain our strength and maintain our conditioning while we're out hunting and doing all the stuff that we want to do. Yeah, no, that, that, that totally makes sense. And, and the, that, I think for me, that was something that was one of the biggest learning curves is not like just starting with high intensity, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a purpose for it. And that was something that, you know, that I've seen a lot in the summertime part of, you know, getting ready for hunting season. And, and still, when I say that it's, it's in a way that's controlled and that you're building up to it. And, and I like that in the, in the program also, it's like, if you've hit this goal or you do this, then do this workout. But if you're not there, then do this one. And yeah, they're, right. they're, they ha- they're, I guess, scaled depending on your capabilities and where you're at from a, from a fitness standpoint. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no sense in, in trying to put a square peg in a round hole or try to do things that you're not ready for. And and that's like <clears throat> why I want, I want people to start now. Cause like it takes time. It takes time. If, if you've for like full aerobic development, it takes like a year. Like you start to get the initial adaptations in like eight to 12 weeks, but like to really fully develop your aerobic system, it takes like a year and you can continue to make aerobic gains for years and years and years on end. And so it's a long game and you got to play it that way. And, and then the other thing about that is, is like the easiest way to get into shape is to never stay out of shape or never get out of shape. And so to make this just part of your routine in your life. Um, and, and then the other thing to think about is like <clears throat> you said you went on a 20, uh, 21 day hunting trip, right? Um, most folks don't get that right. So they get maybe seven to 14 days, mm-hmm. right. And, and go out to hunt elk or hunt mule deer or whatever they're going to do. Let's say we'll get a 10 day backpack hunt. That's 355 days that you have the rest of your life to live. Now, of course we all do other kinds of hunts, right? Like we'll hunt whitetails back home or we'll do whatever, but like think about it from the perspective of your life. Like you, that's one of the reasons that it's human first, man, like human predator pack meal, like we're humans first. And we have like, we want to be able, I don't have kids yet, but when I do like be able to play with my kids and like, I'm going to be old when I have grandkids cause I'm already 37 and I don't have kids yet. So like, I want to be able to see my grandkids, you know? And it's like, <laughs> And it's like all the other aspects of life that we want to do and and have our energy for and stuff. Like we have to think about that. Like that is our main thing. Like we want to think about ourselves as hunters and absolutely we have to be ready to hunt, but we're all of these other things first and making sure that we take care of our bodies and and our, obviously our minds to that we can do those things. that's the most important thing. So if you look at like two weeks out of the year, like, great, you're going to go do that big hunt. But what about the rest of the year? Like you need to be, a good business owner, you need to be a good brother, you need to be a good new father, a a husband, whatever it is. Um, We have to think about the sustainability of what we do to make sure that we can do that and building the consistency of this kind of fitness into our lives so that we can can do all of those things. And 
that's that's really the the biggest thing like and the the best part about that is is if you do all the things you need to do to do that you'll be ready to hunt you know yeah no no 100 100% there and 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 you know like what one thing that that I'll say is is the older that that I get the harder it is for me to restart like you were saying about always staying in shape i fully admit this past this past hunting season was the most that I had hunted and the least that I have done training sure. during that time frame. Even though you have a program that's set out for it, I did not follow along with it during the hunting season. Now I was walking a lot. I was moving stuff, you know, as far as my endurance and everything, I felt like stayed pretty good. We'll, we'll see once we do the tests here in the coming weeks. Um, but like from the, the strength aspect, getting back into the gym a few weeks ago, I was like, holy cow. And then like, um, I lost a lot and it was like, there's simple things you can, you know, you can do and to, to continue with that. And I, I the reason why I'm saying that not everybody's going to have, you know, be hunt as much as, as I did or anything, but you know, sure. you have work trips, you have travel trips, you have yeah. things that, that come up, um, that are, you know, might make a certain period of time a lot busier than before. What, what's your advice to that, to those types of people, um, you know, including myself here? Sure. The few, I, the first thing is perspective, right? Um, I think a lot of times people get caught up in all or nothing thinking. And so they think if they can't do the whole thing, it's not worth to do anything, you know? And, and I think that that really limits people. So taking perspective, stepping back and realizing that like it all counts, it all counts. I made a post, I don't know, a couple few weeks ago, couple hyphen few, I get made fun of for saying that all the time, but I've made it, we got a word now it's called couple few. So it's two or three. So couple hyphen few, you can use it if you want to. Um, <laughs> Uh, everyone has 20 minutes, you know, and it all counts. So if you have 20 minutes, use your 20 minutes and check the box and stay consistent. And so like, you know, whether you're traveling, you're busy with work, whatever it is, like you can't tell me that you don't have 20 minutes because you do. It's like 100%. you spent, I, like, look at your fucking screen time on your phone. You know what I mean? Like you got Don't tell minutes. me what to do. <laughs> that was the that was the royal you. That was everybody. You know what I mean? Like I'm not the, guilty, you know. <laughs> I mean, I think we all are. But check the screen time on your phone, man. Like you got 20 minutes, you know? And I think that's the first thing is like it all counts. Progress is more important than trying to be perfect and at least do something to check the box and build momentum. Now, how do you do that? <clears throat> We call them patterns. I've heard Vernon Griffith, who's another guy that's kind of in the tactical world. He does a lot of cool stuff. I like him a lot. He came in and did a presentation at the group that I work with. Um, he calls them shapes, right? Um, so just because you can't say, let's say that you have a rack pull deadlift programmed for you, right? Just because you don't have at you're at a hotel gym and we all know that hotel gyms go up to 50 pound dumbbells, right? So just because you can't do a rack pull doesn't mean you can't train. You can still train that shape or that pattern, which would be a hinge or a deadlift. Then we have squats, we have presses, we have pulls, and we have carries and like everything else. And so rather than getting caught up on the specific exercise, try to match the shape, try to match the pattern. So you can still do an RDL, right, with two dumbbells, you know, instead of doing a, uh, I don't know, like a, a, a front squat with a barbell, you can still do a goblet squat. So think about in terms of pattern and shape rather than the, this, the exact specific exercise. Then on top of that, it's like, well, think about stress. Okay. So it's going to be difficult to lift 
as heavy as you normally would, right? So you're not going to put 185 pounds on a front squat and, and do a front squat, but you can still add stress to that movement. And you can do that by increasing the amount of reps you do, the total volume of the workout, the reps within the entire workout. Um, you can do slower eccentrics. You can hold isometrics at the bottom. You can do whatever you need to to add the appropriate amount of stress to that movement to get out of it what you need. So it's really just thinking about shapes and stress um, from a specific standpoint, especially with strength. And then from there, it's just using your time. You know, if you got 20 minutes, use it. Another thing to think about is, is understanding principally. And that's why, like, with Human Predator Pack Mule, I try to educate, like, all of you guys in backcountry ready and stuff so much. Because it's like, if you understand the principles, you can apply them in a situation where you otherwise wouldn't know what to do. Where it's like, if you know, okay, the goal is um, aerobic capacity, and Todd had this circuit set up for us to be able to do that. Well, I don't have the space or the equipment to do the circuit. I can still work on aerobic capacity by getting on the treadmill and jacking it up to a, a 15 degree incline and walking while keeping my heart rate in the right zone. You know, so it's like, it's understanding principles, it's letting go of perfection and, and realizing that checking the box and progress is better. And then when it comes to strength, it's shapes and stress. How do I use these, the same shapes and how do I add a little bit of stress to make it worthwhile if I don't have enough weight? Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a really good explanation for it. And, and, and is me being someone that like would look at things as of, oh man, I can't, can't do this thing. And like, just almost get to the point where you'd overthink it and then you don't do anything versus sure, just yeah. moving with it. And I think that was one thing I did do well this, this past year is I was traveling a lot during the summer, total archery challenge events, going to this event, that event, whatever. And it was just like, okay, finding something to be able to, to replace that. It might not, you know, be a hundred percent solution, but it might be 80% of the way there by, you know, molding it and changing it to be able to do it. And, you know, I felt good going into hunting season, even though I wasn't able to stay on the exact track as much as I had in the past. Yeah, dude, yeah, that's a great point. 80% of something's better than a hundred percent of nothing, you know? Yeah. Doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be there. So that's that's a really good point. But yeah, I, I appreciate you asking that question because that's one of the things where it's like that's where people fall fall off, right? They they travel or something happens and they just they're not sure what to do. So it's an important aspect of making sure that you keep yourself consistent. Yeah, and one thing I remember the the first time I was working with you and I was going to a total archery challenge event. I was setting up a booth there. You know, then I had, you know, after dinner plans and, and socializing and meeting with, with people and, and doing all of those types of things. And I was like, man, I'm going to have some, you know, long hours here. You know, what, what do you, and I was like, what do you recommend I do this is the equipment I have? And you're like, all right, for that day, I don't recommend you do anything. You need to, you're going to have a high stress day as it is. You need to, you know, yeah. you're going to be moving already by, you know, walking the courses, doing stuff like don't don't add any additional stress and get yourself run down either. So like that was something that was an eye opening and listening to your body talk, um, to you and let, let it, you know, teach you what, what's going on too and how you're feeling. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that's one of the things where it's like the caveat of, you know, the kind of ignore your feelings type of thing, right. Where it's like, um, sometimes being silly will run you down where it's like, don't ignore the feeling that your body is, is like, Hey, I'm, I'm in trouble. So like training exists on a spectrum. So maybe you have an intense workout plan for that day, but because of all the under extraneous factors of life, just take a walk. Like 
you're still checking that box by taking a walk, like you're being consistent. And so that's why you have to like, one of those things is taking a step back and not judging yourself and realizing that like consistency is the king. What can you do to stay consistent on that day? And then listening to that and just doing it rather than, you know, getting into that all or nothing thing and saying, well, like, if I can't do this workout this way, I'm not going to do anything or um, going and doing something that you probably shouldn't do anyway, because you're shooting yourself into believing that if you don't do that, you're not tough. Or if you don't do this, you're not that. It's like, it's a long game. It's a long yeah. game. And you got to play it like a long game. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And w- one of the things too, I also found like with short on time sort of deal. So like, as, as you know, most of the listeners know, I'm, you know, huge into whitetail hunting and it, there's a lot of scouting that comes into it. And the off season, I would combine a lot of my rucking workouts with checking trail cameras. I would just add weight to it and I'm doing, you know, some more, you know, I, I would also tailor that weight depending on how tough it was going to be walking again. You don't, you don't want it to be a day where you're doing 30, 35% of, of your body weight, some heavier type stuff. And then having to, to do that, maybe, you know, you cut that back a little bit, but you're, you're doing that thing and you're also being able to check another box in the process. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, and I think that, that's a great strategy and it's, it's looking in, at, at training and, and, outside of the box, I think a little bit and being creative, right? Where it's like training can look a lot of different ways. It doesn't always have to look like something in the gym. It doesn't have to be exactly like this rock or that. It's like taking that and, and realizing that you have to check multiple boxes at once is, is a great way to approach it. And and the last thing I want to ask before we um, talk a little bit about your, your hunting season is the, the strength aspect. And, you know, I, I've heard it a lot, uh, and, you know, oh, we don't have, you know, gym equipment out in the mountains. So why do you do that? You know, and, and to me, I've never understood that argument. I mean, I've understood what they're saying as far as, yeah, you're not doing that exact thing, but I'll let you take it from there. Cause you explain. Yeah. I mean, well. and I get it, but that's like, and I, and I mean this in the kindest way that I can say it, but that's just ignorance. Like that's just, people don't understand. Um, think of so relative strength and that is the amount of strength you're able to express in relation to your body weight okay so the better your relative strength the better right without without where it would run into an issue is if like your strength training comes at a cost to other things that you might need right so if you're doing so much strength training that you don't have enough time for the aerobic training that you need to do or the other things that you need to do so that's the one caveat there but other than that like being as relatively strong as possible is what we want within, within the parameters of having enough training time to do other things. Right. And so relative strength makes everything cost less. You have to expend less energy with each step. Every movement you make makes you cost you less energy. If you're strong, it's also bulletproofing. It makes you uh, less resistant to, or more resistant. I'm sorry, to, um, like musculoskeletal injury, like all of that kind of stuff. And so a way to look at it is like relative strength is the glass, right? If you have the bigger the glass, the more relative strength, the more stuff you can fit inside of it, right? So whether that be power, that be other aspects of conditioning, all that kind of stuff. So the stronger we are relative to our body weight, the better. We have more options. We have more access to different physical qualities, And so then you you look at like, what do we really need 
to be ready to hunt. We need huge amounts of general work capacity and then specific capacity, like being able to walk uphill and things like that. But mostly it's huge amounts of general work capacity. The components of work capacity are uh, movement competency, which would be like you move well and movement capacity. You have access to a lot of movement. So essentially mobility, relative strength, aerobic capacity and aerobic power, right? Moving well and um, gives us, it costs us less energy. Kind of like we were talking about with um, the pack out, like the better your joints move, the more efficiently you move, the less energy it costs you. Strength is bulletproofing, also makes things cost less energy, right? And then aerobic power and aerobic capacity, that's like, can you get up the hill fast? And then once you get up the hill, can you recover? And then can you keep going for a long time, right? So those two aspects are, are what um, give us that. And so strength is a huge proponent of, of a co- huge component of what we need to be prepared generally and physically, and especially to backcountry hunt. It doesn't need to be overemphasized, but, you know, if you're not like our standard, like to say that you're, you're, you don't need to hammer, hammer, hammer strength is, can you deadlift 1.5 times your body weight for five reps? If you can do that, you're decently strong. Like you're not super strong, but you've got a a decent level of relative strength. And so that way we know, like if you can't, and you're in this first few blocks of the year, we need to focus on your strength. We need to get you stronger because that's going to make a lot of ground for you. But if you're that strong, you just, you don't need to overemphasize the strength. You just need to do what you need to do to, you know, you'll still build some and maintain it. But then we need to make sure that we have space for all the other things that we need to work on. Right. And that's one of the reasons that we test so we can guide people through that kind of stuff. But strength is a huge proponent of longevity, like, you know, keeping your frame strong um, and resilient throughout the rest of your life. Like you look at the first physical qualities that we start to lose. The first one is power. As we get older power starts to go first. It's a neurological adaptation. People think about muscles, but like power and strength are mostly neurological. Those are the first things we start to lose. Power first, then strength. Then then down the line, it's aerobic stuff. So not only is it preparing us for hunts now, but like if you want to be able to walk up a mountain when you're 75, you need to make sure that you're staying strong now. Yeah. And continue oh, and, to stay strong. Don't stop, and, you know. And, and to it, 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 one of the things that, that I've felt, and this is, really not just strength, but just the overall packages. Say, for example, on a Western hunt, you have an elk herd that's heading to this direction and you need to run to be able to cut them off and you get there. It's like, okay, you got into position, your heart rate. If you can't get that down quickly, now trying to make the shot, you know, throw buck fever out the window. Now you've just elevated it on, you know, on something that could have been controlled and being able, like that was one of the, also one of the big things that, that I've learned from, from training consistently and, and doing that with you is like being able to have a high heart rate and bring it down. And you do tests for that too. You're like time, how long it takes you once your heart rate hits this level to get down to this level. And that, you know, kind of gears towards some of the the workouts as your, your steers, the wheel, you know, going yeah. forward. And yeah. I think that's, that's big. And, and I think that the also like white, I think whitetail hunters are coming around to it more, um, as far as like being in shape and doing that. But a lot of the, 
again, like especially in the Appalachian Mountain region and places where people are having to hike in a ways and do stuff, there's so much of that that translates over and just from the mental side of it too, like by being disciplined and doing your workouts every day and doing that. Now you have discipline to get up and, you know, do that thing after so many days and and hike into your tree and, and carry your sticks and your, your platform and all your stuff that you need to, and to be able to, to drag or pack out a deer and, and not have, uh, and, and not struggle with it. And like those types of things, there's, I think there's so much application to it on, on the whitetail side, and, Absolutely. and, you know, I, I've seen people make fun of it. It's like, you don't need to be in shape to be a whitetail hunter. Well, now maybe if you're driving your side by side up to, um, uh, an elevated blind and you climb up in there, sure, whatever, but, um, and I'm not talking down on that style of hunting, but yes, that probably requires a little bit less of this. Um, right. but, uh, y- you know what I'm saying? But fitness gives you options. That's the biggest yeah. thing. It gives you options, you know, and like, you know, talk about whitetail, especially, you know, some of the things that, that I think that you've helped make popular and Jason from Timber, like saddle hunting, like the whole point is to be able to go back in farther and get away from people, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can do that without being super fit, but like not as well. And it won't be as fun. Um, or, but even like the way that I hunt opening day, when I go home to Pennsylvania to hunt, like I go up the most miserable ridge in central Pennsylvania because like the likelihood of me seeing another guy in orange up there isn't as good. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, it gives me options to be able to try to get away from people. So I have a better opportunity, you know? And it's like, I think people are coming around like with the popularity of Western hunting and things like that, that people are hunting whitetails differently back here. I think that they really are not so much here in Virginia, maybe out towards the mountains in Virginia, not necessarily where I live, but like, even back home in Pennsylvania, like hearing guys talk about how they're hunting them, they're, they're going about it in a different way because, you know, they realize that if they're willing to put in a little extra work that, you know, they have a better opportunity. It's also, it's a way cooler story than walking out of camp 20 yards and, you know what I mean? Shooting a a basket rack behind camp. Like I hiked up a mountain. I did, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a way different experience. And I think it's far cooler in my opinion, you know? Yeah. And, and, and actually just to, to comment on the Virginia thing, that's, it's the, they're the Virginia is number three out of my listener base, um, that of, and of mountain whitetail hunters, you know, in the Western side of Virginia, just, there's like a, the out west dude, for sure. I live, yeah, I, where I live, live in a little no. bit different area. <laughs> I, I, I hunt, a, I hunt a, I hunt a 10 acre or 20 acre woodlot for deer is what I hunt down here. Yeah. So yeah, and it's a little different, but yeah, no, but it, it's it's definitely changing and shifting and, and and adapting. I mean, as soon as I get done with this this podcast, I'm going to Ohio and some hillier country stuff. It's not super tall, but it's steep stuff, and you know, it's rugged. Takes some some effort getting into these places, and you know, it's January now to to want to be able to do that at this time of the year. You know, it sure, helps dude. to be in shape to to do that from um uh, you know when it's cold out and from a mental standpoint it just helps there's, there's it, no mental. there's nothing else to, to say about it other than like it just helps it's not going to hurt you by being in being in shape to do these things it gives you options like we talked about it makes everything more enjoyable and it helps with your decision making like you think way differently when you feel confident and like you're inside your body and you just walked up that hill and you can gather yourself then walking up a hill and being gassed and like you're just all, all of your decision-making changes when you, when you don't have to think about your fitness, man, it just, it's, it's a way different experience. 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. So let's let's uh let's wrap this up with hearing a little bit of some stories about you. Um, this past season, you were talking about you went to Idaho on an elk hunt. Uh, so tell tell me about that that experience. I haven't got to talk to you on the phone about it or anything, just no. through some text messages. But it uh, it was great. I mean, so I we um, I had a muzzleloader tag, <clears throat> and so we. I flew into Pasco, Washington and met my buddy Peter and we drove over, it was like eight hours from where we drove to where we hunted. Um, so not a crazy drive, not anywhere near as bad as I've done before, but you know, decent drive. And so, uh, Peter had been sick, but had been getting over being sick. And so thought everything would be fine, you know? And so one of the reasons that I fly now out West instead of driving is to prevent altitude sickness. Cause the first few times I drove out West, I didn't get super sick, but like the altitude got me and it was mainly because I was dehydrated and I was underslept, you know? And so like I fly now I get my sleep. I make sure I drink enough water and I don't, the altitude doesn't affect me the same way. And so we, we drive over and we get there and uh, first day we hike in, we spot elk like two miles away. I'm like, well, let's go that way, you know? And so we start hiking up this towards this, towards the top of that ridge. And I'm like, man, like, dude, I'm tired. Like this is kicking. I think it's the altitude, you know? And I'm like, just kind of keeping that to myself. We hunt all that day, move through some timber. You know, we never find the elk again. Same next day we go back to the same spot. We start hiking up to the top and I'm like, Peter, this is kicking my ass, dude. Like, I think the altitude's getting me. He's like, I was like, I can't, I, I can't get enough air and like i'm tired he's like i think you're sick man like i don't think it's the altitude you were just at altitude like two weeks ago in montana i was like i don't know man like i think it's altitude it's just denial right just denial in my head so we get to the top of the mountain later that day and like dude i'm just freezing like freezing and i'm like hey peter i think i'm sick man can we build a fire and so (laughs) we were build a fire at the top of the mountain like dude i was like i was literally like chills so bad like i was rattling my uh my bino harness like it was brutal like i could hear like i had my my speed loaders for my muzzle loader in there and i could hear like the 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 bullets bouncing back and forth in there because i was shivering so hard and so (laughs) i get sick i'm fucking sick dude uh i don't know if it was the flu or covid or what it was so we hunt all that day we hike back down like dude i i don't think i can hunt the next day so i get up i'm sick as shit um, I stay in the truck all morning and then I'm just like, I get a wild hair up my ass and I start hunting the next day. And so hike up the mountain, you know, don't get into anything. Well, we end up the next day finding a group of about 300 elk. Ooh. And so, yeah, it was a big group. Problem was they knew the game, right? So they stayed high and they stayed in the open. And so we were hunting country that honestly look like there should just be antelope, but it's at like eight, 9,000 feet. Um, but just wide open one willow bottom that kind of starts at the top of this ridge and then flows down into this bottom. And so we see them about six miles away. We get, we drive around and then we have about a mile and a half hike in, um, climbing pretty good elevation to get back up into there. And then they're a mile and a half away um, on the top of this ridge. 
And so we're sitting there just like the first day, just thinking like, what the hell can we do? You know? And we realized like our only hope is that willow bottom. Like that is it. That is our only hope. That's the only way we're going to be able to move. And so we go back in the next morning. Elk are pretty much in the same spot. We sit there and look for a while trying to figure out like our only hope is to get in front of them because there's 300 eyes, right? So we got to get in front of them. We got to ambush them. Like that's the only chance. So like there is some topography we can use and like if they go that way, we might be able to swing around and let them feed into us. turns out it looks like they're going to go towards the willow bottom. And so I'm sicker than a dog. I don't know. Like I'm just wrecked, dude. And so we hike, we, we stalk a mile and a half up this willow bottom and get 270 yards from the elk. And it was, dude, it was so cool. It was early. We stopped hunting the 10th or the 9th of November. That was our last day. So we're looking at like, this was like the 7th, the 8th of November. Like I said, about 300 elk, bunch of bulls in there. And there's two six by sixes that are just beautiful, right? All of the bulls are bugling like all evening in November. I, I, they're all bugling, right? And so we hike up this, we get up to the bottom of this willow bottom. They keep feeding, they're feeding, they're 270 yards away from us. The closest ones are 270 yards away. And so I'm every once in a while, like poking out with my binoculars, like just a little bit behind out of the willows to just like have a peek. And right as I do it this one time, one of the six by sixes just lays his head back and just rips a bugle man. And like the sun's setting right behind him and like, it's just, it was just iconic. Like it was gorgeous, man. And like at that minute I was like, all right, that was worth the cost of admission. Like, yeah, I like it was worth the cost of admission. I mean, I still want to kill him. Don't get me wrong. But like, I was like, okay. And so it looked like if we stayed there, it would feed right into us. And so we stayed put, it looked like we we're going to have a shot. And then we just ran out of daylight. That was as close as we got. And so we, backed out and then like as it started to get dark we backed out didn't blow them out um but i was just like i was on a high from that right like it was incredible like i I would have loved to kill that bull but just being able to to be there and see that was incredible so we come back in the next day elk are essentially in the same spot and so we're figuring out how we're trying to get to them we get kind of aggressive i'm at this point like i'm so sick i can barely do anything like we hike in and i sit down I fell asleep. We hiked up the willow bottom a little farther. We sit down again. I go to drink some water. I fell asleep. Like I was just, I couldn't keep up. I couldn't move. Like Peter, they start feeding away. Peter runs up to the top of the hill. There's a little bit of timber at the top of just a tiny bit. He goes, I I try to keep up with him. I can't. And then he just cops up over the hill, comes back down. And he's like, Hey, I think they're feeding back around. He's like, I think we're going to have a shot. I was like, Oh, awesome. And so, we see them and it looks like they're feeding down. There's like a willow bottom that came down from the top. And then there's one that kind of ran in between a few ridges and it looks like they were coming back down to water. And so we start moving that way. I find a second wind. It looks like we're going to be able to get out in front of them. And like, at least each of us kill a cow or something. Right. Peter's like, do you hear that? I was like, what? No. He's like, dude, I just heard a gunshot. I'm like, And so we hike up to the top of the one hill and we just see some guy ripping through with his trekking poles. The elk are just who knows where, right? Like four yeah. counties away at this point. And he had to have just ripped a pop shot. Like there's no way that he actually had a good shot that he had lined up and like, 
And like, cause we're like, we're looking like, did he kill an elk? Like, is there something down? And he just like, must've ripped a pop shot. All the elk are gone. And like, oh. that was it. So, but it was, um, it was a very big challenge physically and mentally for me. Cause I was, I was very sick the whole time, but it was just one of those deals where like, I got, I got to hunt, right? Like I got to hunt. And so we did. And I, I'm just very, I'm very grateful that I got to see that bull lay his head back and, and yeah. like that. It was really neat, man. Dude, being sick on a hunt is one of the worst things. That's I mean, sick. that's what led to me having altitude sickness in 2021, that's right? you know, where, where I went in there and had a sinus infection and found I had mono I had all these different things when I was, you know, and that, you know, made it to where the altitude was just exemplified, you know, just or amplified. Like it was so much more. And, uh, but one thing, um, for me, cause I, I was getting sick a lot over the past few years and it seemed like every hunt I was going on, I was getting sick and, and I talked to you about it before and you've told me and, uh, Heather Kelly's told, everyone's told me you got to sleep, you know, I got to sleep more. I was averaging for years, four to five hours of sleep a night. Yeah. And it just, and so I've made it a goal, um, really since I left, um, my full-time job was like, okay, you need to prioritize sleep and recovery. And, and so I have a goal of seven hours a night and, you know, six being kind of a minimum, but always trying to make that happen. And man, I had not been sick that, you know, I'll still get sick here and there, but which is going to happen, but that's helped me out so much, uh, from, you know, being on these hunts and doing things, you know, there's going to be times on hunts when you can't get as much sleep or whatever, but sure. just the rest of the year, same thing as we're talking about with training. It's like consistently getting, you know, rest and, and recovering helps instead of building yourself up for failure. Big sleep debt. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, that's what allows you to go on the hunts and be in a sleep debt for two weeks and still be able to do what you need to do is yeah. doing the things that you need to do the rest of the year. And then it's like, well, you only get a few hours of sleep a night when you're hunting, like, and also be it. That's the deal. But like the rest of the year, you got to be pretty locked in if you yeah. really want to get the most out of it. So, yeah. No, hundred percent. Well, cool, Todd. I appreciate you coming back on and, uh, and talking with me again. It was, it was fun getting to catch up a little bit and, and you spreading your wisdom with, uh, with the listeners. I appreciate the opportunity, man. I hope you, I I'm supposed to be going to Ohio this weekend too, and I can't. So I'm, I hope you have good luck, man. I hope you kill a buck. I'll do it for you, man. I, yeah, I, I expect I'm, I expect you to text me if you kill and say I did this for you. I will. I will. I'll, <laughs> I'll, 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 t- I'll take a picture, and you know, maybe maybe I'll even you know take a picture and crop your head on it, and you can you know do what you want with it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's morbid, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, not on the deer. Oh, okay. <laughs> on you know on me, you know. So then you. you know. Oh yeah. Well, listen, that'd be a much better looking picture now, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I for anyone listening, I text to Todd beforehand and I was we were going back and forth with what we were going to chat about and and he's like we should probably start off with how good looking I am and I was like oh, you know what yes well, you're going to do well, the podcast shirtless and we're going that's exactly how it's exactly. going to work well for full for full uh disclosure like I was sitting in a tree stand when I texted him back and I had my my neck buff up over my face and everything so yeah. that's why that's why yeah. I said it but. No, he's not. He's not really arrogant. No, but, I'm not. I, I tend not to be a total arrogant douche canoe. So yeah, and and you definitely fall along with uh, both human predator pack mule and mm-hmm. uh, Todd's personal Instagram. His personal one's funny. He throws in some some quirky uh, things, but you're also you've also are a good 
writer, and I don't mean to say that in a surprised way, um, but you're you're a good writer as well. I enjoy reading your captions, and Thanks, whether it's informational, whether it's just funny, whatever it might be, it's it's pretty good. But um, and then humanpredatorpackmule.com. Where else can people find some of this information and check it out? Yeah, just that's what you said. The Instagram and and the website are the two biggest places to go. And then if you know you have questions or anything like that, just humanpredatorpackmule at gmail.com and I'd be happy to answer them. Awesome. Again, thank you for coming on and uh, we will catch you soon. Thanks, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.